there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! I am so excited uh, about the series that we are beginning today. It is entitled Third Person, and it is all about the Holy Spirit. I actually got the idea to to develop this series uh, from the song that we just sang. It's Spirit. It's by a group, uh, my wife's favorite group, a group known as Judah and the Lion. Uh, And the first time I heard this song, uh, I, I was moved deeply. Like, I can't explain it. I was moved in my spirit, if you will. And it's odd because this is really not a Christian worship song. And the part of the song that always gets to me is how the song opens up. You started out there with fire in your bones. No walls could tear down, no chains that could keep you closed. Then it went wrong. Now you're alone. When I, the very first time I heard that song, the, the, I, my mind went right back to the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Jesus was gone. He had been crucified. He defeated death and he ascended uh, to the Father and he promised that another helper was coming, this spirit of truth. Well, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, man, that the Holy Spirit did come. And he came down, the wind blew, the walls shook, fire rained down from the sky. The apostles were all of a sudden able to speak in tongues and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. And the church of Jesus Christ was born through the mighty work of God's Holy Spirit. And the church did indeed start with fire in their bones. Think about that early New Testament church. Nothing could stop it. No walls, no chains, no amount of death and persecution. It had to be a beautiful sight to behold. But as the years went by, centuries after centuries, it feels like something went wrong. It feels like we don't really trust in that same spirit anymore. It feels like When we talk about the greatness of the Holy Spirit, it's always in past tense. It was in that moment that I realized that I didn't really know the Holy Spirit like I thought I did. I know God the Father. Uh, I get Him. I have a Father. I am a Father. So so God being a, a Father that's loving and caring and instructing, kind of that parental figure, that's very relatable to me. I feel like I know Jesus more than any of them. Like like I know Jesus on a very intimate level. And I can identify with Jesus because he was a human and I was human. He was a son and I'm a son. But it wasn't the same with the Holy Spirit. He seems like this distant third person of the Trinity. He seems like the forgotten God or the God I never knew or the unknown God or this mysterious spirit of God. 
And so it set me on a course. I, I started reading all of these books from all different kinds of authors and their views on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just immersed myself these past two months in study and scripture about the Holy Spirit. And during this process, I was asking God to speak to me. More specifically than that, I was pleading with the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Because I want to be honest with you. Uh, I was feeling like the last two lines in the first stanza of that song. 2020 has been a rough year. 2021 is still pretty rough. And, and, and I was down. And I was feeling like, then it went wrong. And now you're alone. I was feeling alone, but I was not alone. And I believe the reason I was feeling that way is because I was not letting the Holy Spirit lead my life. So this caused me to cry out. I cried out to God. I cried out to Jesus. I was crying out to the Holy Spirit. I was crying out to anyone who would listen. And I was saying, you know, I feel like I don't know the Holy Spirit. I feel like I don't have any power. I'm just kind of down and I don't know what to do. God, I feel powerless. What's wrong? And so for days on end, I pleaded with God. I pleaded with Jesus. I pleaded with the Holy Spirit. Speak to me. Give me a word. Give me something. Okay, now it's about to get really weird up in here. And you know me. I'm not weird. But he did speak to me. I was brushing my teeth of all places. And God in that still small voice said these words. Wake up. That's all he said. Wake up. Now, I know that might seem strange to you, but it wasn't strange to me. I knew exactly what he meant when he told me to wake up. I believe he was telling me, and I believe he's telling you, this church, we need to wake up and realize that the Holy Spirit is very much here. We, we, we need to wake up and realize that the Holy Spirit is very much alive. He is very much active. He is very much powerful, and we need to realize that. We need to be reminded that we've got spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit of God with us. That he should be in our everyday thoughts. He should be incorporated in our prayers. He should be in our everyday lives, in our teachings, in our church. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Because when that happens, there is a power that's unleashed in your life and in the life of this church like nothing you'd ever see. And so my guess is this, if I cornered you after church and I really pressed you on the matter, most of you would probably feel like I was feeling. Most of you understand God as the Father. Most of you get Jesus the Son and the Savior. But you might struggle to identify and embrace the Holy Spirit. And so it's my goal that you get to know the Spirit on a deep intimate level through this series that we'll be preaching and through our Wednesday night spring study that starts this Wednesday at 7 p.m. right here, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a deeper dive into the mystery of the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to not just know about the Holy Spirit, though, right? There's a difference between knowing someone and just knowing about someone, I don't want you to just know about him. I want you to know him. I want you to begin to feel the work in the presence of the Holy Spirit in your individual lives. 
There's this story of a, a little boy who was flying a kite, and it was a very windy day, and so the kite got higher and higher and higher, and finally you, you weren't able to see the kite. And this man walked by, and he saw this little boy holding this string, and, and, and the man said, how do you even know you have a kite up there? And the little boy just smiled and said, because I can feel it. And although we cannot see the Holy Spirit, I promise you we should be able to sense His presence and feel His power and feel Him working in our lives, changing us day after day more into the image of Christ our Savior. Now, in order to know His work and feel Him working in our lives, I think it's pretty important that we know who this Holy Spirit is. So this morning, I want to talk to you about that. Jesus at the Last Supper uh, talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. In fact, John 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters deal a lot with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is entering the last 24 hours of his life. He knows after that supper he's going to go pray, he's going to get arrested, and then he's going to be crucified. So he begins to set his disciples up, telling them there's another one coming after me, this Holy Spirit of God. And so I want to look at three passages real quick, and as we read them, I want, I want you to see if you can find a common word or a common theme here, okay? The first one is John 14, 16 through 18. Jesus says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. John 14 verses 25 and 26. Jesus continues talking about the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you. While remaining with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you all that I said to you. Then over in chapter 15, he's, he's still talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, when the helper comes, whom I send to you from my Father, namely the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. Did you notice the common theme in those verses? When Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, what does he call him? He calls him the helper. Now, I'm going to geek out for just a minute. Uh, in the Greek, that's a very interesting word for helper. It's the word paraclites. All right, that's where we get our word paraclete. Paraclites in the Greek is actually two words that are sandwiched together. The word para means to come alongside. The word clites, I mean, the word para means alongside, excuse me. The word clites means to come. So you put those together. When Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper, he's saying that is he who will come alongside of us. He comes alongside of us to help us. That God gives us a personal navigator, a helper who will never leave us stranded, Never leave us confused. This helper is God's gift to the believers, and he's known as the Holy Spirit. And so my sermon outline is adapted from a book uh, entitled The God I Never Knew by, by Robert Moore. So I'm going to kind of use his outline but go my own way with it. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the Holy Spirit, our helper. So let's go back to John 16, and we're going to be in verses 7 through 11. I'm only going to read verses 7 and 8 to begin with. But again, Jesus is still talking about the Holy Spirit here, and here's what he says. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, all right, he's about to say, all right, here's how he's going to help you. It's good for me to leave. He's coming, and when he comes, here's how he's going to help you. He's going to help you by convicting the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, you look at that, like me, and you may say, how does this help me? I already feel bad enough about myself, and God's sending this spirit to convict me of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I mean, that's crazy, right? At some churches, you're not even allowed to say those three words anymore, right? More or less live in them, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, luckily for us, Jesus is going to explain what he means in these following verses. And with that in mind, I want to show you three ways that the Holy Spirit is your helper. Remember, verse 8, Jesus says, here's how he's going to help. He's going to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let's talk about those three. First of all, he convicts us of sin. Look at verse six, or verse nine. It's right after verse eight. Eight always comes after nine. Always comes after eight. Yeah. All right. So he says he's going to expound regarding sin. Here's how he helps you, because they do not believe me. They do not believe in me. So it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. Now here's the problem. When you hear that word convict, it conjures up criminal prosecution, right? Like, oh, she's a convicted felon, or oh, he's a bad guy. Oh, the preacher almost got arrested looking at a home because he tried to break in, right? Like, so it, it kind of conjures up like badness and, and criminal prosecution. But Jesus isn't using the word convict in those terms. He's using it to mean to believe or to persuade. Simply put, convict means to convince. You're not going to have any, you're not going to be convinced anything is right unless you have conviction behind it. So it might help you to replace that word convict with convince because that's more appropriate to the Greek language. So think about it. The biggest way the Holy Spirit helps you out and helps me out is to convince us that sin is ruling in our lives and we need help. Now remember, he's the helper and helpers help. So let me say it this way. You cannot get saved until you first realize you need a Savior. And the person that makes you realize that you need a Savior is the Holy Spirit by convicting you of the sin in your lives. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts our hearts, which causes us to eventually repent and turn to God. Look at the second part of 2 Corinthians 12.3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He helps us to be saved by realizing we need a Savior. So this little 12-year-old boy, um, he was saved at an old-time revival. 
And later his friends were pelting him with questions about him getting saved. One said, well, why did you get saved? Did you see God? Did you see a vision? Another said, did you hear God? Did he speak to you? And of course the boy answered no to all these questions. And then one little boy said, well, how in the world do you know that you were saved? The little boy replied, well, it's kind of like when you catch a fish. You can't see the fish or hear the fish, but you feel him tugging on your line. And I just felt that God was tugging on my heart. That's the Holy Spirit. Think about, I don't know what salvation looked like for you, how old you were, where you were. But think about right before you gave your life to Christ. Think about your heart. Think about that, that, that feeling you had. Maybe the preacher was preaching or maybe they were singing just as I am for the 900th time trying to get someone. I don't know, but you, you, were, you, you, you felt something. You felt that, that, that burning in your bosom. That's the Holy Spirit helping you. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and he's trying to pull you to Christ. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Of God. So simply put, I want you to think about this. If Jesus left to go with the Father and the Holy Spirit didn't come, none of us would be saved because we would not be convicted that we even needed a Savior. So that's how He helps the first way. Secondly, He helps us by convincing us of righteousness. So look at verse 10. Jesus expounds, and regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you no longer are going to see me. I love what Robert Morse points out in his book. He says, contrary to common belief, righteousness does not mean right behavior. Now listen, th think about it. Somebody who has high moral standards, we might say, man, that, that, that lady is awesome. She is a righteous person. Now it's great to have high moral standards. Don't get me wrong. But did you know that's not what righteousness means? Do you know what righteousness means, really? It means having right standing in the presence of God. So look, Jesus didn't say that the Holy Spirit would convict us of the need of righteous living. Rather, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness, right standing with God. And in his own words, he said, that's because, the reason is because I'm going to go to the Father. Now, this is huge. I don't want you to miss this. The reason that you and I have right standing right here, right now, in spite of our sins, in God, is because Jesus ascended to the Father. He sits at the right hand of God as our eternal reminder that our sins have been paid for. Look at Hebrews 10, 12, and 14. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, I love this, sat down in a very specific spot at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies were made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Do you know why Jesus is up in heaven sitting at God's right hand right now? Because he needs to be close to the Father. He needs his Father's ear. He's whispering there in his Father's ear. Father, you see that one down there? Kevin Barton, the preacher. I know you see him sin almost on a daily basis. 
but I want you to know he's covered by my blood. He is in right standing with you. I have paid his debt. It is paid in full. Father, do you see that guy down there, Greg Noble? Man, that was a big debt to pay. There was a lot of sin, and he still struggles with that. But he is in right standing with you. God, you see that woman down there? I, I, I know she looks broken, but she's covered by, the, by, by my blood, and she now has right standing with you. She is one of ours, Father. You see, once we're saved by the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit helps by providing you with an inner confidence, an inner peace that you now have right standing with the Lord God Almighty. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Understanding that we've been made righteous is a great gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. He helps us to fully be convinced that we now have right standing with the Father. And, and you can come to God's throne with confidence and full assurance that you will be always received, welcomed, and embraced by the Father. My children, uh, I love them dearly, uh, they know that they can come to me anytime with anything, any problem, anything they've broken, anything they've done. They know they can come to me. They know that nothing in this world, would ever separate my love for them. Now, I know they're going to mess up. I know they're going to rebel. I know at times they're not going to listen to my advice and my counsel. But they can come to me with their heads held high, look at me, even when they're ashamed because they're my children. I am their father. And nothing will ever change that. They will always be my children. They will always have right standing with me. And friends, I think the Holy Spirit may be here this morning to remind some of you of that very fact. Because here's my guess. Some of you have been measuring your life with right living rather than right standing. And no one can measure up through right living. The Bible says we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the net result for you, if you're in that camp, is, is that your spiritual life, you feel like you're always living in failure. You always feel like you're somewhat of a disappointment to God. And so you have this anemic, defeated, spiritual walk with the Lord. And friends, I think today the Holy Spirit is here to remind some of you that if you have Jesus Christ, if you've been bought and paid for by his blood, if you love him with your heart of hearts, that you have right standing with God and you don't have to constantly, constantly be looking over your shoulder. So, <clears throat> give me one second. <clears throat> I have... Uh, <clears throat> My own sin struggle. Okay, I, I have this one particular sin. Everyone's like, is he going to tell us? No. <laughs> I, I have this one particular sin, like you do probably do, in my life that I fall to over and over and over and over again. I would say it's my most reoccurring sin. 
And every time I fall prey to that, I feel terrible. Like I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like God is so frustrated with me. He's going to pull the plug on this relationship. He's going to send me on my way, and, and, and I'm not going to heaven. Now, I know some would say, well, you shouldn't talk like that. You're a preacher. I any preacher, let me just go on a rabbit trail for a minute here. Any preacher that would tell you they don't have sin struggles are lying. If you're in a church and a preacher tells you that they've got it all together, that they don't sin, it's time to find another church. Because John, who wrote the words that we're reading, John, who was closer to Jesus than any human being on earth, John, who was like a brother to Jesus, also wrote these words. I just added this last night, so it's not going to come up on the screen. But this is to the person who says, I don't have any sin struggle. There's nothing I have to, to work on in my life. Here's what John says, 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When I feel this way, I, I don't feel like I have right standing with God, but I do. And the Holy Spirit, who is the great helper, comes along beside me to convince me that, yes, you messed up. But you're living in God's righteousness. You have right standing with the Father. Now listen, I'm not talking about license here, so you can spare me sending me an email tomorrow. Uh, I'm not saying that you just turn yourselves over to your sins and you just do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying you've got sin struggles. I've got sin struggles. All of us do. And what I'm talking about is Jesus, the great Savior, died for my sins, died for your sins, past, present, and future. His blood covers a multitude of sin in our lives. We need to be reminded of that. So let me read that verse again. 1 John 1.8, and then I'm going to read verse 9 behind it, okay? If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess our sins. What happens? He's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My question for you this morning is, have you let him do that? My secondary question is, if you have not, will you let him do that? Bless you. Listen. In your walk with God, I want you to understand something. You are going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up, probably before the end of the day. Some of you might sin before you get out of the parking lot. So the parking lot might make you sin because you can't get out. I don't know, <laughs> right? But even in and through those mistakes, the Holy Spirit reminds us that Jesus is our advocate to the Father, and he is telling God they're one of mine. They have right standing. So he helps us, convicts us of sin, righteousness, and then here's the one we don't want to talk about, judgment. I don't even know if you're allowed to say that in church anymore. Look at verse 16. And regarding judgment, this is a strange thing to say, because the ruler of this world has been judged. 
Now, to fully understand what Jesus is saying here, I think it would be important to understand who he's referring to when he uses the term the ruler of this world. Who's he talking about? The devil. Satan. Let me give you a couple of scriptures for reference. John 12, 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 14, 30. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in regard to me. This is clearly the enemy that Jesus is talking about. So I want you to think about something for a minute. Satan was the ruler of this world, but he was judged 2,000 years ago when Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And the important thing for you to understand is if you are in Christ, Satan no longer has authority over your life. What I find fascinating is that I believe that Satan actually thought he could defeat God when he rebelled. I think he actually thought he had a chance to win this war. It kind of reminds me of this year's football, national football championship for college. There was the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide against Ohio State. And if you're an Ohio State fan, I don't mean to offend you, but y'all were so cute. You were so cute even talking about even having a chance to beat Alabama. And I'm not an Alabama fan. I'm far, 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 far from it. So they played the game, and, and, and the, the Ohio State fans were so excited. But if you saw the game, it was over before it began. Alabama hung 52 points on it. It was a beat down. They could have hung 70, but they kind of pulled back. Listen, so before the cross, Jesus actually thought he had a chance. He thought he could beat God. When Jesus died on the cross... And you had that three-day window. I could see Satan and his demons dancing around. They thought they had won. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead victorious. You want to know why? It's because God never loses. He never has, and he never will. And so when you see this passage here and it's talking about judgment, when Jesus is talking about judgment in relation to the Holy Spirit, the kind of judgment that the Holy Spirit convicts us to, listen to me, it's not on us. It's on Satan, the ruler of this world. We need to understand, I want you to walk out of here understanding that you have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and Satan has been dethroned. Grace and mercy have been pardoned to you, and judgment has been administered to him. The Holy Spirit will testify to your eternal life and point Satan to his eternal death. But here's what happens. We read John 16, 18 through the wrong lenses. Let me read it again. Here's how the Holy Spirit's going to help you. He comes, he's going to convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. We read this, and we think this is a condemnation of us. When we read those words, I guarantee you, most of us, here's what we think. This is what it's saying. You're a sinner. You're not living right, and God's going to judge you. Nothing's reserved for you but sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I, I feel like many of you have spent your entire walk with the Lord feeling this way right 
here. I mean, you live this every day of your life and you wonder why your faith is stagnant. You wonder why you're stuck. You wonder why there's, there's no movement in your life. I want you to understand that that voice in your head that's interpreting that scripture to, to say, you're a sinner, you're not living right, and God's going to judge you, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's actually the voice of Satan twisting your faith by constantly accusing you. Do you know what Revelation 12.10 calls Satan? The accuser of the brethren. Two words that are important there, accuser and brethren. He stands on the sideline and points to you, God's people, and says, look at you. We know how many times you mess up. We know what you do when you go home and you're by yourself. We know the thoughts that you think. I know what's going on. And so he's constantly accusing, 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 especially in when you fall to certain sins. That's the wrong voice. And so you read this verse through these tainted lenses and you think that this sin, righteousness, and judgment is on you and you turn it on yourself as a condemnation of who you are. This is not a condemnation. This is a proclamation. So let's pull all these together that we've read real quick and read it. John 16, 7 through 11. Jesus says, but I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I'm leaving, for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Regarding sin, because they do not believe. Regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and am no longer going to see me. And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, this is a proclamation. This is how the Holy Spirit helps. He convicts us that, man, we, something's wrong. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Once we receive that Savior, Jesus, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we are in right standing with God. Like, it's, it's not this constant. Like, it, if you saw a child, right, on the playground and their parent called them to come to them and the child kind of walked up like this, Would you not think something's wrong? God is continuing to call us, and and many of, of us are like this. Because of the Holy Spirit convicting us of righteousness, we don't have to walk that way. We can walk in. We don't have to be all arrogant, but we can walk in. Abba, Father, I'm in right standing with you. I don't know why you love me the way you do, but you do, and I'm thankful for that. And we receive the promise after that. That we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, judgment is reserved for Satan himself. He has been dethroned and has no more power and authority over you. And because the Holy Spirit testifies this to us, we no longer have to walk around in fear. We no longer have to walk around in constant discouragement. You no longer have to walk around in this Christian despair because you can't measure up. You no longer have to white-knuckle your way through everything, failing one time after another and never changing. You no longer have to walk around ashamed. You You don't have to feel alone because you're not alone. God Himself and Spirit is here to testify that He loves you. He saved you, and he's going to bring you home. He's our helper. 
Remember that Greek word? Let's quiz you. Let's see how much you paid attention. What was the Greek word for helper? Paraclete. I love you guys. The one who comes along beside of us. Now, when you look at that word parakletos, paraclete, it paints this picture in the Greek. I've, I've shared this with you before, but what it is is think about a soldier in the times of sword fighting, in biblical times. You could see in front of you, you can use your peripheral to see people coming this side, this side, in the front, but you, have, you can't see what's behind you. And so soldiers would tether themselves together, back to back. And I've got this way, and I've got this way, but he's got my back. And he's got this way, and he's got this way, and I've got his back. And as they moved, they would move together. And you always had someone to have your back. Maybe this is too simple. Maybe I'm over, I'm not a very smart guy. But I think what Jesus is trying to tell us is the Holy Spirit, he's always got your back. He is your paraclete. He is there to come alongside and help you. Let's hit one more scripture, and then I'll close this thing out. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak to you on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Let me just stop right there. So those of you who think I've like kind of lost it, he, you know, he's 50 now. He's kind of losing some, you know, he's brushing his teeth and he thought he heard a voice. It's, you know, God doesn't speak. Well, I argue against that scripture right there. Because that scripture just says the, the Holy Spirit will, t- will speak to you. He will tell you exactly what God tells him to tell you. And for me, it was wake up. I don't know what he's saying to you. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He's our guide. He will lead us. He will speak. He will never leave us. He's our helper who comes alongside of us to guide us through life. This this has been a crazy week for me. Uh, Monday, um, I, I had to do a funeral for a dear friend of mine. He didn't pass away, but his father passed away. And uh, so the funeral was down on Macklin Road at West Cobb Funeral Home, okay? And it was more of a celebration of life because uh, this guy's father was, he loved the Lord. Uh, and, and, you know, the last 20 years of his life, man, he communed with the Lord probably more than I have. And so we, we were confident that he was with the Lord. So we did this kind of celebration of life. Well, after the funeral, he was uh, a medic in the Army, so he was going to be buried at the National Cemetery in Canton. So I've, I've done funeral, like gravesides there before, and I thought, well, we're just going to, you know, that's a long way from West Cobb Funeral Home on Macklin Road all the way up through Barrett Parkway on 575 to get to the Canton National Cemetery. And I thought, well, we'll, do, we'll probably just meet up there. No, we did a funeral pro- uh, procession, okay? And so it was a cop car, uh, the Hearst, and then I was behind the hearse, and then the family was behind me. I have such an appreciation for what our police officers do. This was, I, I thought, man, this is going to be a nightmare trying to get, you know, because Barrett Parkway is like, I avoid that at all costs. Right, but even with a police escort. <laughs> so there were three police cars. One was in the front. One was kind of in the middle. 
and then one was in the back. And we'd get to an intersection, and, and that police car in the front would jump out and stop traffic, and the guy in the middle would come roaring past me, boom, right beside me, and he would get in the light, and that guy up front would go, and the guy in the back was kind of holding cars from coming, and I thought, man, this is pretty cool. Uh, and we made it to the end of Barrett Parkway, and then we had to get on 575. And I thought, how in the world, how is this going to work? We got on 575, and, and there, was, there, was, there were cop cars there, but then all of a sudden, boom, the guy in front got off. Phew, the guy beside me got off. Phew, the guy behind us got off. And I thought, all right, I'm just going. Well, as they were getting off, you looked at the on-ramp, and here, come, here comes three more police cars. One got in the front, one got in the middle, one got in the side. They made that change. They went through four districts seamlessly, just, just back and forth. It was, it was just an amazing thing to behold until we got my friend's father to his final resting place. <clears throat> Friends, that's a picture exactly of what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside of us. He is here for us through every step of the way, through every major life transition that you will have. Broken marriages, careers ended, retirement, illness, he's right there. Through every relationship, good or failed, through every failure, through every victory, through every valley, through every mountaintop, he's always right by our side to help guide us to our final resting place, eternity with God in heaven. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.